We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's up, soccer fans, and welcome to the first ever episode of Soccer Talks with Allie Trostmartin. I'm so excited to be launching this new show on KC Sports Network presented by Emprise Bank. And going all the way back to, I think, the start of KC Sports Network, I BJ and I had talked about you know this becoming a possibility at some point. So I'm so excited to bring this new show to all of you. It has been so fun over the last five years getting to cover soccer here in Kansas City. And not just because the teams are incredible and I've gotten a chance to work with so many great people on that front, but because I've also gotten a chance to connect with all of you. So really, I want this show to be something that you all can enjoy. So please tweet at me, DM me, give me your feedback. I want to be able to add segments and, and kind of have this be a fluid thing over time where we can can make it something really fun. So that said, I am really excited to intro my first guest, but first want to shout out our friends at Emprise Bank. There's more options to do banking now more than ever. So who you work with is more important than how close they are to your home. Emprise has digital banking that meets you where you are, on your phone, on your computer, or even your smartwatch. A trusted partner, is at your fingertips. Now I'd like to welcome to the Soccer Talks podcast, U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer and my great uncle, Al Trost. I'm so excited to welcome in my first guest of the show. Had to go big for episode number one. You might know him as a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer. I know him as my great uncle, Al Trost. Uncle Al, how's it going? Hi, Allie. Nice to see you. Nice to talk to you. So good to see you and talk with you too, especially with the World Cup going on. There's so much excitement around soccer. The 2026 World Cup is going to be hosted in North America. And I kind of just want to start with, as someone who has captained the U.S. men's national team eight times, which by the way, fun fact, is tied with Christian Pulisic uh, for for most caps, I think 22 um, all time. What, what goes in to captaining the U.S. men's national team, how do you how do you approach that? Oh wow, um, I you know that's difficult to say. I think I was very fortunate when I when I came out of St. Louis U and started playing in the NASL. I made the Olympic team and played in the NASL. I had a, a great opportunity to go forward from out of there and and 
I guess I was one of the known American players to, to, uh, and one of the more experienced, I guess, players since, since, uh, when we started playing with the national team back in the mid seventies, I had a lot of young players coming up too. So, uh, uh, I wouldn't say I was the oldest, but um, I was fortunate by the head coach then, uh, Walter Chiselwitz at the time, um, who was who just a, you know, tremendous, was a tremendous friend of mine. And, and also I really admired him as a coach. I mean, he, he threw me out there as Captain America. And I think that's what the, that the, uh, one of the soccer peri- periodicals picked up on and, and uh, it went from there. So that was, so that was like the original, Captain America, like where, where do you remember reading that or, or did it just kind of stick within your teammates or was it the media who kind of coined that term? No, I think it was the media. I think one of the soccer, uh, either Soccer America or one of the Soccer Monthlies that came out with, uh, you know, the 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 promotion of, of competing in the World Cup, uh, you know, and, and trying to draw attention to the World Cup because back in the 1970s, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, soccer wasn't, you know, where it is today. Um, and, and I think, you know, that was one of the ways to, to I guess, they threw me out there at, 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 at promoting that as Captain America, yeah. It's crazy that you say, you know, soccer wasn't, I, I feel like this is just something that the sport in America has been up against even today in terms of making it a, a mainstream popular sport for American sports fans. And while, you know, global competitions like the World Cup draw in a lot of viewership and a lot of attention. Uh, there was there was a moment on social media this last week where ESPN tweeted out a graphic of um, some of the best American sports athletes. So you had LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, Odell Beckham Jr., and and it was like imagine this squad running out at the World Cup. It's like what if you just imagined the actual soccer players who uh, who are playing this game with the you know for the United States of America. So it's it's even still just. Um, not always maybe given the respect or the attention. So that is a lot than what it was like when you were playing then, it sounds like. Well, the opportunities are so much more there. And I think that had to do with the commercialization of the sport. You know, the sponsorships, the MLS, the MLS, what it's done uh, and how it's grown. And, and uh, St. Louis is getting a team now next year. Um, but I, I, I think it all it kind of like all started back in probably around 1990, 1994, 1994, when we had the world cup here in, in the United States and out through the crowds set the record for, for the crowds attending the games. And I think it was, it was actually, you know, I think that had a big impetus in getting, getting the sport going. Uh, but, you know, like I said, back in the 1970s, um, you know, I can still remember, uh, you know, when I wanted to play in, 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 in grade school and stuff and people were making fun of us running around in shorts and, you know, things, what are you, what are you doing in this crazy sport? You know, but, you know, I, I think there's room for another sport and on the American, you know, profile. And, and I think, uh, I think soccer is really there right now. So then it sounds like for, for the kids who were, you know, getting made fun of, they just, they loved the game so much. They didn't care what anyone had to say this. So, you know, how did you get introduced to the sport of soccer and who were you watching at the time that, that also, you know, helped show you that, Hey, this is something that you can. Well, that, that, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of the, you know, young guys and, and 
that grew up with it, even even into the 80s and 90s. And I, and I think they're going to say, well, th- their dad got them involved or, you know, their dad was a coach. And, and uh, uh, many of the players, um, you know, that I grew up with were community. And I'm the youngest of, of five of six, uh, six brothers. So five brothers. And, and my brother Tom played for St. Louis U in the first NCAA championship team in 1959. And I think uh, going to his games and watching St. Louis U play and watching my oldest brothers play and being dragged to the games and the practices, you know, I, I just cr- it created kind of like a love for what I, that's what I wanted to do. I played baseball and basketball, but I kind of lost interest in those. So, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how, you know, the, the academies and the development of American players now. And, and it's interesting because a lot of the ones who, who develop really quickly and, and catch a lot of eyes end up being sold overseas and going to play at some of the big clubs in Europe. Um, but there's still been a lot of progress here in the United States, um, some great American talent, and some of it does develop here in the domestic league, in major league soccer. Um, what's your kind of viewpoint on, on American development and where it's where it's gotten and, and where it is now and where you see it going. Do oh, you I, think I, that? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I like you said, I think the academies have really done a whole lot for the sport. Um, you're, you're seeing more Americans getting the opportunity to play in the MLS. You know, I still wish I could see more, but um, especially, you know, the home home because there's homegrown there, players. There's, yeah. Yeah. Homegrown players. You know, they're. They're really developing in all parts of the United States. At one time, you know, we, we were priding ourselves in St. Louis as being, you know, the birthplace or, you know, where we saw a lot of homegrown talent coming out of. But now we're seeing them coming out in groves in California and Texas and and uh, not only not Missouri, but, you know, not only Missouri, but also, you know, up east in New Jersey, New York, you know, in Florida. You know, we're seeing all kinds of great great programs and, and the academy system is really the MLS is, you know, uh, really took it, took the right steps in, in starting to develop this because um, back in my playing days in the North American soccer league, the, their focus was just on uh, and the ownership was just on the, the, the premier teams. You know, what, what can we do with the premier teams to make them better? And it, there wasn't so much, their emphasis was not so much on the development of players coming up to, for the future. I think it was more of the present and and bringing over the superstars to play. They thought that would have an immediate impact on the game, but uh, it did, but not on the development. And um, and that's why probably the NASL lost in the mid-'80s. They were no longer to be found. And, you know, I- I, I read up, this was kind of fun for me. I actually, I read a ton about you and your career early on because like, while I did know a lot of it, there was a lot that I also didn't know. Um, but you were quoted in talking about the NASL and, um, it, you know, you, you didn't fully become a pro until, what was it, 1970, like in the mid 1970s when you moved to, I believe it was California to play for the, the surf. It, it, yeah. yeah. I started, yeah, I started uh, like many players in the North American Soccer League. I mean, th- we weren't full-time players. We were played a salary, you know, during the season, but we always had other jobs to, to provide us, you know, some additional income. Uh, 1972, when the Olympics were over, I, I, I had the opportunity to, to, to 
started playing professionally right out of college, but I wanted to stay on the Olympic team. We were going through qualifications and, and that was my, to me, that was, that was the most important part of my soccer career was making the Olympic team. And I didn't want to give that up to become a professional because the Olympics was all amateurs in. And we had the opportunity to be one of 16 teams in the finals that go to Munich. So I waited a year before I signed professionally in, in 1970, starting the 1973 season. Um, I played five years in St. Louis as a professional soccer player. And uh, when the team, when ownership came in and wanted to move the franchise to Anaheim, uh, I was one of the few players who went with the franchise to Anaheim to start establishing the, the soccer community out there. And uh, I know we reminisce about all the camps you used to come to and help me with. Well, I wish I had you out in Anaheim to, to help me with the development of the camps out there. But that was kind of my job going out there. I became a full-time professional and um, never did I, in my life that I believe I was going to make a full-time professional salary playing soccer. And that was the first time for me. And I, I spent uh, over, well, two and a half great years in Anaheim. And then I, you know, got traded up to Seattle and played up in Seattle for the Seattle Sounders to finish so, out my career. So it sounds like then a big part of your, your job wasn't just going out and playing on game days, but it was also going out in the community and helping advertise the team, the league, the game. Did you like that? Oh yeah. I enjoy, I enjoyed it. I grew up doing it and uh, I still do it today, as you know. Uh, yep. uh, so, so it was uh it was fun for me and, and a couple of the other guys from St. Louis who came out with me. Um, John Sewell was our coach. Uh, may he rest in peace, but he, you know, he did a lot for getting the sport started in, in, in around the Anaheim and Orange County area. And it was a, it was a great time for us. Yes. It reminds me of something that, you know, a member of those early nineties U S men's national team uh, teams, Peter Vermees, who's the manager here in Kansas City at Sporting Kansas City, at the Wales U.S. watch party the other day here in Kansas City, he went out and talked to the crowd about, you know, and this is someone who's got so many things going on, right? He, he's managing, he's a, the manager and sporting director of a team, but he's out here talking to fans of the sport about the importance of coming out and supporting all of these different events and, and things leading up to the 2026 World Cup, because I think if there's something about those early generations of, of soccer players, yourself included, that I'll give you a lot of credit for, you understand the importance of promoting and growing the game. And it sounds like that was instilled in you, maybe because out of necessity at, at one time, but really it, it carried with you throughout your entire life. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. You know, and, and I know Peter has, has been the same thing. He grew up with it the same way. Um, and, and I'm sure he's going to be very outspoken about it, too. So then when it comes to I want to go back to what you said about making the Olympic team and that being, you know, your your dream and what you had always wanted to do. Uh, Eleven qualifying matches to get there. Um, I think you were 23 years old at the time. And when I look at this current U.S. men's national team competing in the 2022 World Cup, there's a lot of young guys on this team. Um, what? What's going through the mind of a, of a young 20-something American competing for the first time in an international competition that was a dream, you know, for their country? Where are the red, white, and blue? You know, I, I think players growing up now, these young players, they've, they've had a taste of so much international competition. Um, 
you know, I, I just think, I think there's just, they're, they're brooding with that kind of confidence that they can compete now with anybody in the world. And that's what the United States needed. You know, I think uh, they, and they had those opportunities growing up. Now, you know, we did not, you know, we didn't travel at various places and, and uh, we didn't do a whole lot of traveling. I was blessed that, you know, the, when I was, you know, the 23 year old, 24 year old, when I first started, you know, getting some exposure to a lot of, I started in the Olympics, but starting to get more international competition. I mean, these guys, these kids are growing up with it when they're 14, 15, 16, and they're making trips overseas and they're making the under 16 team or the under 18 team or the under 19 team. And they're making so many, you know, trips to uh, wherever in the world to play tournaments and, and uh, those opportunities obviously were not there back in the 1970s. And, and it's, it's great to see that happening. And I think, I think those those players are showing us on the field um, the confidence that they have on the ball, their technique and their tactical knowledge. You know, it's just uh, um, you know they've started they've started with that when since they were fourteen years old or younger. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So as someone who played in the midfield was the engine for the team, you know, that the midfield for this U.S. team currently is, is regarded as, you know, one of the best that they've had in a long time. It, it's one of the bright spots of this team. When you look at um, the midfield specifically, because I would imagine when you watch a game, are, are you focusing a little bit more on the midfield at times? I, or I am. Yes, I am. So what yeah. are some things that you look for when you're watching high level soccer in the midfield? Well, you know, I, I, I like to see midfielders making runs to help the forwards, you know, and getting into the attack, you know, the forwards holding onto the ball. And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't I just don't know whether they're getting enough players into the attack, you know, to, to get those kind of goals. Um, they're great playmakers and, and uh, holders of the ball, you know, um, but I, I was I was an engine. I like I like to make those runs, you know, and overlapping runs and stuff. And runs through the midfield and, and, uh, um, you know, I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're really awesome players with technical skills. I just like to see us get more goal scoring opportunities. I know. I know that was 
one of the disappointing parts of the Wales game um, for sure. And, and, you know, I know everybody's watching this World Cup maybe with a little bit of uh, anxiety, just given the fact that the U.S. missed out on the last World Cup. And this is really their first introduction back with only one guy with World Cup experience on this team. And, and you know what it's like, though, Al, to go through World Cup qualifying. You all missed out on the World Cup. But what was that that process like going through the the grueling CONCACAF qualifiers, um, you know, during the, the late 70s? You know, we, we, we knew that there was only going to be two teams from CONCACAF to qualify. There were fewer teams uh, in the World Cup that qualified. And uh, Mexico was obviously going to be one of them. So we were battling with uh, El Salvador, Canada, um, and uh, Guatemala, I think it was. We ended up tying, ended up in a tie with Canada, uh, goal differential and everything. So we had to have a playoff game. And they decided to, CONCACAF decided the playoff game would be at a neutral site, and it was in Haiti. And so, unfortunately, in Haiti is is uh, the problem where you're going to have to make sure you watch what, everything that you eat and, and drink. And, and unfortunately, 24 hours before the game, I came down with the worst case of, you know what? Uh, um, but by the time game time rolled around, I felt better. I wanted to play, and so they put me in, and I, I played, you know, the first 45 minutes at halftime. I had to come out and just say, um, Coach Chiswick, we just, I just can't do it. I physically, I can't, I can't make it anymore. So I was replaced at halftime, and that was probably the the worst episode of my soccer history that I can remember. We ended up losing two to one or three to one, and uh, um, it was it was just an unfortunate time. That sounds terrible it reminds me of i i think it was uh what was it michael jordan's flu game or something that is one of the famous um famous moments now in uh sports history so if that was the worst what was the best moment whoa wow uh the best was the el salvador game qualifying for the finals in the olympics uh soon after the olympic I, I, we were we get my one of my first occasions gathered for the um uh, national team Poland brought their national team over and um for some friendlies over the United States and we played Poland up in Connecticut um one of my first occasions with with the uh with the national team and uh I was fortunate enough to hit a ball just perfect on a half volley went up in the upper corner and making my typical runs through the midfield um uh, and I hit it up in the upper corner, and we defeated this Polish team one nothing, and um, in front of a pretty large Polish crowd. So it was uh, one of my proudest moments, and that's probably when the when the Soccer Journal came out, or the Soccer Monthly came out with the Captain America nickname. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it, it's it's stuck around and is now a you know a very. <laughs> Uh, it, it's always a huge honor, but uh, it, it's definitely something that, you know, soccer fans take it and kind of run with. Al, I want to close with just like a few quick questions and, and just answer kind of, um, you know, whatever comes to mind. But, you know, I, I've read a lot of different players, you know, mention you as as the best player or the favorite player that they ever played with. Who was, I, and I'm sure you had a lot of them, but who was the best teammate that you ever had? Wow. Uh Joe Ham. Why? Why was uh, what made him? What made him special? 
Kind of grew up with him, playing midfield with him all the time through St. Louis U, through many years. Uh, Mark Demling, defender always could rely on me, rely on him. Um, Eddie Newsell, another teammate from St. Louis U, my roommate. Um, played against some great players in the NASL. You know, Pele was one of them. Johan Cruyff was another one. Um, George Best, who came over. Uh, we mentioned Chet Messing earlier with the Olympic team. Good friend. Um, Bobby Smith, another good friend that's in the National Hall of Fame. Played with him on the national team. Arnie Mauser, another great cool keeper that I played with the national team. I can keep going on. <laughs> There's so many. No, it, uh, it it's so cool to just, you know, hear some names of some some of soccer's greats over, you know, over time. And, and you know, it, it is, I think, when the World Cup rolls around and you do have these competitions, there is um, this desire for a lot of American sports fans to, to look back because soccer's history is, um, it, you know, it's so neat to look at each generation and see how they've kind of helped shape the game, which leads me to my next question. And that is, how would you define or describe the generation of American soccer that you came up in and, and were such a big part of? Oh, wow. Survivors. <laughs> we, uh, uh, I don't know. We just had so, so much good times, uh, good friendships that we've made through, through the sport. Um, you know, I think every, you know, amateur professional sport, you know, I, we, we were amateurs, you know, we considered the soccer as an amateur on the amateur level. When the North American Soccer League came around, that was that was the epitome of of trying to be a professional, and and I think players did whatever they could uh, to survive, um, never never thinking that you'd be able to make the kind of money that today's players are making, which is great for them, and they deserve it. And and I think uh, it's it's just wonderful to see the the sport how it's how it's blossomed into a a major major, major sport here in the United States. After your playing career, you went on to coach for a long time, coached against me even at one point when I was in high school. I think we were in a tournament at some point. Um, what would be the number one thing that you would want to impress upon this U.S. men's national team as they compete in this World Cup? A lot of these um, guys for the very first times ever in their career. Oh, uh, play with confidence. You know, I, I think I think they're at a level now where they they can they can compete with anybody, and they have a, they have to have the willingness to to play with confidence and be willing to win. I mean, I'm I'm a winner. I I believe in winning and doing everything you can to win the game, and I think these players can do it. And um, back in my day, it was it was a matter of we're going to try to survive against some of these teams, you know. So. Now I think they have the abilities to to win it, win win and and keep going on. I see nothing but great things for them. All right, my last question is: What is your prediction for the World Cup or World Cup? Even if it's not a prediction, just a, a team you really like watching, um, U.S. otherwise, or you know, is there a player on the U.S. men's national team that that you've got high hopes for? Well, I would have said Argentina, but I know they already lost. <laughs> I would that have, was a shocker. I would have makes you feel better about the U.S. draw, doesn't it? <laughs> I would have predicted U.S. and Argentina in the final, um, but that's probably not going to happen. Maybe right now, um, 
So I, I still enjoy watching Brazil play. Um, and from my German background, I'm going to still root for Germany. Um, so those, those teams all come under the United States. So um, uh, that's where I stand, I think, right now. All right. There you have it, Uncle Al. This has been so fun. It really is just, you know, so cool. Uh, you mentioned how big of a role your dad played in in helping instill the love of the game for you. And I can say the same about my dad. We spent countless hours road tripping to games, um, playing in the backyard together. My mom as well, like the sacrifice that they made. But then in addition to that, you know, it was my, my papa, Tom, always coming out to the games and, and you helping start the best Trost family tradition ever um, with the, the soccer games at the, the indoor soccer facility for the last 20 years. And um, it's just all, all of those little things that have helped keep the game such a, a central part of, of the Trost family um, has just been so cool. So it's, it's an honor to have the Trost name. And a lot of people think I'm named after you, which I'm not, you know, the Allie and Al Trost. I'm like, no, I, my parents just really like the name Allison. But uh, I do like to, to think sometimes it's like, oh, that's cool that we, we share this, this love of the game and that I get to, you know, at least carry that part. Well, I'm always talking about you back here in St. Louis. Uh, I'm so proud of what you've done and what you're all your accomplishments back in Kansas City. By the way, you'll hear from me again when the World Cup comes to Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Hey, we'll have a place for everybody to stay. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> We're really looking okay. forward to it. Well, hey, right. have a great rest of your week and a happy Thanksgiving. Love Thanks. you. Love, love you too. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.